0: hello my friends and welcome to the chris Rawl show where i am pleased no i am ecstatic to announce that week one of the college football season is here i cannot describe how much happiness this inspires inside me as i wrote about in this week's newsletter which you can see at chrisrawl.com and subscribe to and as i'm going to talk about in the remainder of this show. So, college football week one, it's here, let's go. Now, close your eyes and sleep. sleep, sleep, The day that Kobe Bryant tragically passed away in that helicopter accident with a handful of other people, including his daughter, my sister-in-law was texting me about it. She's not a basketball fan, but for whatever reason, you know, that news item resonated with her and she knows that I'm a basketball fan and so, for whatever reason, she was just kind of, we had a back and forth texting about just, yeah, this that sucked and you know, the world can be kind of a grim place sometimes. And she's a, amongst other things, she's a literary woman and she sent me a poem that day. She was like, you know what? When I'm kind of thinking about stuff like this, this is one of the things that comes to my mind that, you know, for whatever reason, I'm thinking about and feeling today. And it's a poem that I want to read to you to start today's show as we kind of deep dive into all of the things that I want to talk about, including college football week one. So this poem comes from a grand gentleman. His name is Stanley Kunitz, and the name of it is The Long Boat. When his boat snapped loose from its mooring, under the screeching of the goals, he tried at first to wave to his dear ones on shore. But in the rolling fog, they had already lost their faces. Too tired even to choose between jumping and calling. Somehow he felt absolved and free of his burdens. Those mottos stamped on his name tag. Conscience, ambition, and all that caring. He was content to lie down with the family ghosts in the slop of his cradle. Buffeted by the storm, endlessly drifting. Peace. Peace. To be rocked by the infinite. As if it didn't matter which way was home. As if he didn't know, he loved the earth so much, he wanted to stay forever. So it's a great poem that deals with some obviously very heavy themes about mortality and meaning in life. Um, And I'm really glad that she introduced it into my life because, you know, as as you know, as a listener of this show, there's many things within this that I think about that I thought about before the poem was introduced, that after the poem was introduced, kind of are randomly called to mind intermittently here and there. And I go, oh, and I had a very strange experience. This is probably like a month ago where out of the blue, I hadn't thought about this poem in quite some time, probably dating back to about the time that Kobe Bryant passed away. And it was just one of those days where like I was feeling those final two lines, you know, just this love for the earth that you want to stay forever. Stuff that I really, really tried to go after at all times. And, and, you know, I like to think that I do a good job of it, but there are times that just for whatever reason I fall short. And this was one of those days that it was just, I was hitting home run after home run, you know, it's a big day of golf and I go and have a grand old time. And, Then for whatever reason, I'm still motivated. I'm like, oh, I just want to be outdoors. This is awesome. And so I get my hiking pack and I fill it up with ice water and get some cliff bars. And I go up on the mountainside by myself and I got some podcasts going. And then there's the storm coming in. And so it doesn't get too crazy on the mountainside. It's just these like, it's a really picturesque scene of these clouds that are like kind of blackish and they're coming down. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get just annihilated by this. But they're rolling alongside me and I'm just getting some lightish rain and nothing too heavy and it just creates this again an incredible scene so now i'm really soaking in the landscape and i'm kind of shifting gears in my mind because i've been like oh this day's been just awesome now I'm, for whatever reason i'm really feeling it even more so i switch over on my in my earbuds to just kind of a walking meditation because i got probably an hour left on my hike trying to get back to my car and so now I'm slipping into that mode of like, okay, let's really just think without thinking, you know, absorb what is there surrounding you and, and feel how you're going to feel. And it was just, it, it was great. You know, it was it, as good of an experience as I can have in that sense. So I get to my car and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I, I'm driving to go get a, there's a local grocery store in Springville, Utah, it's called Reams. So I'm going there to get a salad on my way home. And for whatever reason, this poem popped into my mind. I was like, oh, I haven't read that poem in a while. I want to read it. So I stopped there as I'm getting out and, and I read it as I'm going in. And I'm just like, oh, yes, this is everything that A, I want to feel and B, I'm feeling right now. And C, I wish, I wish, even though I know it's impossible, I could channel at all times, which you cannot because we're all human. But I read it and I read it again. I'm just like, man, you can't sum up my experience and what I want to be more than the close of this poem. Uh, just kind of uh, the abandonment of, you know, like Stanley Kunitz says, the conscience and ambition and all that caring, just the things that you worry about day to day, just all of the things that can kind of bog you down, including me. You know, I'm not absolved from that. And arrive in the place at the end that you want to be. Where I'm walking in and I'm looking at people and I was so happy. I promise you I was so happy. I guarantee people thought I was the biggest creep. Just smiling and grinning. And I just had this really overwhelming sense of like love towards the world that, hey, this earth is an incredible thing to be upon. There's a lot of people and places and things within it that like provide me a lot of meaning and joy. The themes that I, I discuss on this show a lot, you know? So I'm thinking about that because, you know, college football is here, but. Strangely enough, even though today is a day about college football, I want to start the sports discussion by talking about the world of men's professional golf. Weird, Zig, when you thought I was going to be zagging, but I, I think it will make sense when I explain what what's going on. Uh, this is a world that kind of represents that bog that I sometimes will find myself in. Sometimes it's unknowingly, sometimes I know I'm getting into it, I'm like, okay, let's I can extract myself from here. I don't got to worry about all these things that maybe uh, society says I should worry about or other people say I should worry about. I'm like, yeah, you know, first and foremost, I'm going to kind of go out of my way to find the things that I want to do and, and be happy about. And the world of men's professional golf is it kind of it doesn't kind of it's probably the thing in sports right now that represents the bog that can arise because. For me, there's nothing that's more depressing than the future of this sport. There really isn't. Uh, It's come to mirror all the things that I really dislike about present-day media coverage and discussion amongst people, that everything is really political and everybody is really, really uh, intent upon just saying things over and over with no purpose and without wanting to actually have a discussion about Anything that really pertains to the subject or the subject, it's just a matter of let's put my heels in and I want to shout about this. And so there's been a lot of conversations about live and the PGA Tour that people try to draw me into. They go, "What do you think about this?" And I go, "You know, honestly, it's super depressing." And and immediately it'll turn into, "Well, you know, are you serious? You think people shouldn't be able to get their money?" And I go, "Well, no, that, I don't. That doesn't that doesn't resonate. I don't care about that." And then sometimes other people are going are you serious? You don't care about blood money and this or that. I go, well, no, that's no, this is not, this is not what I think about nor really care to discuss. I don't think about other people's money. I don't think about how other people obtain their money. The thing that I think about for men's professional golf is what's going to be cool for a fan because I am a fan. So then I'm like, well, yeah, I I don't, you want to talk about that. That's fine. I'm not the person to, but I will talk about the future of the sport and why I find this whole thing really depressing. And it's because we're staring down the barrel of two really diluted leagues from a talent standpoint, one of which I live. I just, I don't really understand what the tournaments are for now. They're random exhibitions where I don't, I don't know what they mean. <laughs> the PGA tour, uh, I've had many qualms with them in the past and still in the present about just the way they choose to put on these competitions. And now with more diluted fields, I'm going, well, that's not really a very appealing product. Two diluted leagues with fields that in no way inspire me to watch. And then hovering over all of that is the four majors, the four things that you always go, well, these are at the very least, these are going to be good. And now we're kind of at this crossroads of they're deciding who is, who is going to be banned or should we ban or who plays and who doesn't. And now I'm going, so we could just get diluted fields everywhere and a sport that instead of ever being talked about the golf that is being played, every discussion is just about the political side of what is happening. Again, all the things that I really don't care to be a part of. There's a reason that I extract, have completely extracted myself from any news that is not related to sports. And then when it infiltrates sports, I go, I just don't care to be a part of this. That's depressing for me as a fan and as a person who wants to be apart from politics. I also understand other people are going to feel differently and they like the politicization of sports. That's cool. That's two sides of probably the same coin. We both come from a place of liking sports. What we take from it is going to be very different. So I'm very depressed about the future of men's professional golf. Um, And I hope I'm wrong, but I kind of have formulated the opinion that in the not-too-distant future, There's going to be a place where I don't really feel compelled to watch anything that has to do with the game. That's very sad to me to think about because golf is fun for me to watch (laughs) and it's fun for me to bet on. And I really like when they're high level competitions that feature the best players in the world competing within them. And I can watch that and gamble upon. That's something I really like, not just that, oh, it's cool and now it's gone, but it's a sliver of. The feeling of the end of that poem, you know, this feeling of, I love the earth so much that I want to stay here forever. And maybe I forget it from time to time, but when I really think about it, I can come up with a hell of a lot of reasons and I don't want to lose those reasons, right? The more of those things you have in your life, I'm of the opinion that (laughs) that's in your best interest. Again, a thing that I strive after day after day after day after day. So that's men's professional golf. And yeah, it's a bog. And I'll be honest, the last few months, as far as me trying to watch it, I'm just like, I kind of get overwhelmed because every broadcast and everything is about what I just described. It's very rarely, let's talk about this eight iron that Rory McElroy's hitting in here. Or let's talk about Cam Smith and this incredible short game that he's had on display for his whole career and really just ramped it up to another gear this year. It's just about who's going to live and who's staying with the PGA and what are the reasons and how can we be mad and how can we be mad and how can we be mad? So now we shift a little and there's a, a sliver of pessimism. If you want to extract from the world of college football, that ties into the same kind of thing. It's different, but there is that off field stuff. There's that tumultuous change that is occurring within the sport, much like professional golf that when I think about and talk about, as you, the listener of the show know, because I've recorded many episodes about it, It does depress me because I realize, oh, there are certain things that are going to be gone that I really liked about this sport that are not coming back. And I've talked about that a lot, so I don't need to get into tons of details, but you know the way that this sport is changing drastically, you know, realignments right at the forefront. It's just, it's TNT, it's dynamite, it's push the plunger again and again and again and blow this up and blow that up and blow that up and blow that up. The transfer portal has been an incredible monkey wrench in a in a way that we really couldn't have understood until it has now occurred. Just a lot of people are changing sides, which is fine. You know, good on them, whatever. Now we're seeing the kind of manipulation of the transfer portal market. I'd point at the quarterback decisions of Michigan this last week, where Tim Harbaugh comes out and says, you know what, we're starting Cade McNamara at quarterback week one, and then we're starting J.J. McCarthy at quarterback week two. Then we'll make the decision on who our actual starter is on week three. None of those three games matter. They're all against dog shit teams starting with Colorado State tomorrow. And so the media is like, oh, cool. Seems like an interesting plan. Anyway, does this have anything to do with the fact that one of these quarterbacks can't transfer because you're extending <laughs> whether or not you are naming a starter? And the transfer portal has really shown us as soon as a starter name, a lot of people are willing to flee and seek out another school. And now we have Jim Harbaugh. He's quoting the Bible and he's talking about the wisdom of King Solomon and you cut the baby in half. And are you shitting me? I mean, who are we to judge King Solomon's wisdom? This has nothing to do with the transfer portal. It's just another new thing. That's a part of college football. And whenever that occurs, There'll always be these offshoots of it where this person's trying to take advantage of it and then this person in turn is trying to take advantage of them and just messiness. It's the way that humanity works, unfortunately, but another one of the ways that college football has kind of been infiltrated from the sport that I want it to be, which it won't. Name, image, likeness, you know the drill. That's been a monkey wrench. It's paving the path for pay for play where this is essentially Minor leagues, which great, you know, I mean, athletes should have been making money a long time ago playing college football. Uh, It will alter what the sport is and what it is at that point remains to be seen, you know, despite all of us. Um, This is not the week nor during the season. This is a lot of the stuff that I think about and go, oh, and I can get into that bog and I go, man, it's the conscience. It's the it's the ambition. It's all that caring. The stuff from the poem. And this week, it's like, I don't give a shit about that because football will always have a lure. It is a sport that is so deeply just pumped into my bloodstream that when it is played at a high level, whether that's professionally or collegiately or minor league y, when when we get to that point, (laughs) the sport is just, it checks all the boxes for what I crave. That no matter how much tumult is going on within it, no matter what is going on off the field, and this team is over here, and this person is now transferred, and this coach is quoting the story of Bathsheba now, and name, image, and likeness is doing this, and now we're paying, no matter what occurs there, there is always a place where college football is going to be one of those things that makes me reflect and go, I'm really happy to be upon this earth and it's a really incredible thing to be a part of. That's college football. That's what I feel this week immensely because week one of the college football season. Oh oh, baby. There's just something, there's just something about it, you know? Could tie it could be a nostalgic thread. It could be, there's a lot of reasons that I feel that way, but every single year, no matter how much the sport has changed, no matter how much it's in the process of change. This is the week that I get to and I go, all right, just lay it on me. Just fill me up. This is, this is all I want as a fan. Just this unlimited smorgasbord of games starting on Saturday. So I read a poem, and you all know this is a literary podcast. Kind of literary first and foremost in the offseason. Once the games begin, it becomes more sports-oriented, but the offseason is a lot more thematic-based and a lot more about what I've been reading. And you all know we have a champion poet, and her name is Liza Mueller, and she is a complete badass. There's a stanza from her that I read last week. as I was kind of browsing, browsing through some of her writings. That really struck me as like a read-between-the-lines type moment. I think the very best creators, I'd put her up there. Obviously, I'd put like a Bob Dylan in music. I think the very best creators write songs that are very personal to them, or write lyrics or words that are very personal to them, and you can read them and extrapolate infinite meanings from those, regardless of what is being said. And I think that's like the, the true sign of an incredible and timeless work of art, which I think both of those people create. So I came across the stanza, and I was overwhelmed with this feeling going into football. Like I can't wait! I can't wait! I can't wait! And and for a strange reason that we'll get into as I kind of dissect what's being said. This really stood out to me in that sense, which you'll, you might laugh at when we first read it, but hopefully it will make sense the more I talk about it. So this is again from Lisel Mueller. The modern biographers ask the rude, irrelevant question of our age. As if the event of two bodies meshing together establishes the degree of love. Forgetting how softly Eris walked in the 19th century. How a hand held over long or a gaze anchored in someone's eyes could unseat a heart. And nuances of address not known in our egalitarian language could make the redolent air tremble and shimmer with the heat of possibility. Anytime I read her stuff, I just, I can't get over how good it is. (laughs) Let's start there. (laughs) I can't get over the word choice. I can't get over what is being expressed. And you think it's about one thing. And then I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it again. And for whatever reason, it becomes something else entirely for me. And the first time I read that, I'm like, this is an incredible poem about just the depth of love and the way that it is measured from one human to another. And I love what is being said within this. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of times sex can be mistaken for like, Establishing the ultimate degree of love, and if you go deeper and think about things, there are a million different ways that we actually cannot measure within our language that make you feel that uh, the, the heat of possibility, the tremble, the shimmer. To still her incredible word choices, I love the image of the gaze anchored in someone's eyes. That's the line that really stood out. Where I was like, "Oh, yeah, I, I've actually felt that before. That is an incredible." Line, we've all felt the various random things um, in human to human love where it's just like, oh, yeah, that's it's kind of strange to describe. But if you felt it, you felt it. And there's always these little moments with whatever the person or whoever it may be, where you're just like, oh, yeah, for whatever reason, that was really meaningful in a way that like somehow sex. It's not a proper comparison. Somehow this thing could be just as if not more meaningful. Again, a really incredible part about human experience. Just the ways that you can measure and the ways that you cannot. So I read that, and then I go even deeper between the lines as I'm reading it within the recent past. And I'm thinking about not necessarily human-to-human love, but just that feeling of love for the world and the things within it, mentioned within the Stanley Kunitz poem. And I'm like, yes, this is this is it. And I struggle sometimes to put into words how meaningful things within the world of sports can be hopefully i do a, a good enough job that you understand but there are other ways where i would just fall back on the last part of that stanza And i go you know what There are just there are things that are not known in our language that make me feel and if you feel that same way you know so that's where i get with week one of the college football season and i go yeah The sport is changing. There's a lot of upheaval. It's different. But no matter what, there's something so electric about the true opener. Not week zero, where it's a bunch of dog shit in Nebraska losing. The true opening week, where it's everybody going. Just full bore ahead. Zero to 60 in one second flat. There's something so electric about that that I can't even fathom it. So now I'm here the day before and just, oh, I'm thinking about poems. I'm thinking about this, thinking about that. i am got... Four sports books open on my other monitors. I'm recording this, just kind of tracking the lines out of the side of my... Eye. Don't worry, still paying close attention to what I'm saying. But it's the things are aligning to make me feel what I want to feel. A great, vast sense of love for this thing that is a part of my life. So now we're fast forwarding to Saturday, if I may. And I can kind of project down the road because I've experienced this many times before. And the feeling is always the same, which is why I love it. Just you go to the 10 a.m. time slot and I'm like, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. The helter-skelter viewing experience of that first just, here's all these games. Go at them. How about it? (laughs) Place your bets. Put your screens up. Get every screen you can muster up. Start cheering. Start screaming. Get your food out. Get your drink. Whatever whatever you want. Get it out. It's go time. And I look at 10 a.m. And there's not a headlining game. And that's... It's one of the great lures of college football. I wrote a little bit about this on Wednesday's newsletter. I'll expound a little bit more on it, but the 10 a.m. time slot, look at that right now. You got Buffalo, Maryland. Oh boy, that's not a good game. You got Colorado State, Michigan, King Solomon's (laughs) exodus. Colorado State going in there to play against half of the baby. You have North Carolina against Appalachian State, which to a college football fan, it's kind of a, a wet dream. It's the geographical ties of teams that don't really play often. There's the big brother against the little brother usurper dynamic. App State is now swung to be a slight marginal favorite within this game because North Carolina struggled so bad against Florida AM and last week. It has all the makings of just a game that a true college football nerd ass like myself will love. Not a headliner. If college a random college football fan on the street is like, oh, oh, it's the first week of Saturday, what should I watch? I'm not going to tell them that, but... At the same time, it could end up being the coolest game of the day. That's part of why Saturdays are so rad. But then you keep going. You're like, okay, Rutgers Boston College is gone. That game is dog shit. I'm going to be so into it. I promise you I will be. North Carolina State, East Carolina. Another wet dream for a college football nerd. Again, another geographical tie-in. Again, another big brother, little brother dynamic about we're North Carolina State. And we got potentially a really good top 15 team this year. And he's Carolina, the little brother, but always kind of plucky. And who knows? They're getting them at home. And you never really know within the sport of college football. And you never really know in week one. It makes no sense when you actually lay those games out that at 10 a.m. I'm going to be as happy as I can possibly be. But it somehow will be the case. It makes no sense that that's the most thrilling experience that Chris Rock could possibly have. But I promise you it is. That's kind of an incredible thing to have, you know, those games you go. Yeah, those are pretty bad games. And I go, well, this strangely enough is a sport that it can be better if it's worse. It's a strange paradox. You get a really shit college football game and in any other sport. You just be like, all right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Like when, when there's shit golf being played in, on the PGA Tour, I'm like, I don't want to watch. This is dumb. I literally, I honestly don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch anything in professional men's golf right now. For whatever reason within college football, there's something about the sport. There's something about the, the vast array of teams and styles and fan bases and whatever that tie in. I don't know. I honestly sometimes cannot explain it. There, there are nuances of address that I do not know. <laughs> but But the funkier the game... The more, like, they just roll around in the mud, the better it can be. Cultural football is the only sport like that. The headliners, they'll always have the publicity. They'll be the games that you mentioned to the casual football fan. What are the big games? I go, yeah, Notre Dame plays Ohio State. Oh, sweet, two top five teams. And Georgia defending national champions they play Oregon. Oh, sweet, two top 15 teams. I go, yeah, those games are cool. I'm, You know, I'll be tuning in for sure. Point spreads are pretty vast. I mean, we're talking... 17 or more points spread separating both those teams. But at the same time, you know, I'm interested in watching those games. I got a bunch of bets out. Hell yeah, I'll be involved. But very rarely at the end of a Saturday are those the games that I would be like, that is the one that captured my heart. Or those are the ones that capture my heart. Because there's so much to choose from. There's that incredible diversity that's on display starting at that 10 a.m. window where you look at it and you go, "Those, there's no way, Chris. There's just no way that those games could hold a candle to Notre Dame, Ohio State. Or Georgia-Oregon. In advance, I go, I don't know. I'm pretty confident that the takeaway from this Saturday, if you're being honest and you watch everything, the takeaway is going to be from something that has nothing to do with those two games. Point at the one thirty slot. This is Rocky Mountain time because that's where I live. I'm like, yeah, Oregon-Georgia is going on. I'm, I'm actually way into that game. I really am. I don't. I'm not here to discriminate on any college football game. That's the point. All college football games are the best. And when they're all here at the same time, it's overwhelming in how cool it actually is. <laughs> in Georgia, they're the defending national champions, and their former defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, he goes to Oregon. He's now their head coach. So you got that juicy thing of yes, Oregon is a 17 or 17 and a half point underdog, depending on which book you're getting him at. At the same time, it makes a lot of sense that the number one person on planet Earth who would understand the inner workings of maybe how to attack and negate what Georgia is doing is the person who was on their staff last year and in years prior. So it's an intriguing matchup in that sense. But at the 130 slot, I go, but you know what else is there? Tulsa, Wyoming. (laughs) And I laugh not because I say it as a joke. I laugh because I'm like, this is the beauty of college football, where with a straight face, I could be like, you never know. This honestly could be the best game in the 130 time slot could be Arizona, San Diego State. I'm actually way into that game. It could be UTEP, Oklahoma. You never know when an upset's going to arise. You never know when some 31-point favorite is going to be stretched to the brink in the fourth quarter or end up losing, like, a, like the famous Appalachian State-Michigan game or some of these early season upsets we've had in the past where in a million years, you would never predict that game. Nobody would ever watch it. And then somehow it's the second half and fourth quarter and every single college football fan is like, so wait, what's the Big Ten Network? It was the first year in existence, so we all had to find it on our TVs. What's the Big Ten Network? Okay, here we are. Appalachian State, Michigan. What is happening? (laughs) And the next thing you know, (laughs) Appalachian State's winning. Could be Utah, Oklahoma. Who knows? Oklahoma could win by 100 and cover the spread. Who knows? Cincinnati, Arkansas. Same time slot. Badass game. So rad. Way more into that game than Georgia, Oregon, if I'm being honest. Same with Houston, UTSA. Uh, You might hear that and go, what? I'm like, yeah, Houston, they could be the best non-Power 5 team in the country this year. University of Texas San Antonio has kind of had a really good track record quietly in the last couple years. Houston's only a four point favorite on the road. That game is very intriguing. Troy against Mississippi. Hell yes. BYU at South Florida. Hell yes. Bunch of ice cream loving BYU lads out in the Florida sun, just dripping out vanilla cream out of their skins. Who knows what could happen in the game? BYU could cover the 12, cover the 12 and a half easy. They could wilt and to puddles of Rocky road ice cream. Who knows? The point is there's so many games that are going on that it's just like, oh, I can't really tell you in advance which ones will be the ones, but when it's over, you will know. And it's really kind of hard to describe that experience of sitting through a Saturday and being a part of all that and getting to the end and being like, oh, I never would have expected. And yet here we are. There's one more thing I want to read. It comes from a really incredible novel. It's called Exit West. I would highly encourage everybody to read it. Written by a dude named Moisin Hamid. Again, this is a reading show. I have, just because you get to listen to these quotes doesn't mean I don't expect homework out of all of you. At some point, I will create a book club and we're going to have little sessions about each of these. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to talk about Exit West. This is what uh, Moisson writes in it. When the tension receded, there was calm. The calm that is called the calm before the storm. But is in reality the foundation of a human life. Waiting there for us between the steps of our march to our mortality. When we are compelled to pause and not act, but be. I freaking love that quote. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Can't even describe how much it represents just, again, a thing that I strive after. You're wrapping all these literary things that I've talked about today into kind of the same sphere. I think they tie into what he's talking about within this. Where it's just like, you know what? There's. I know we want control. I know that uh, uh, we worry about so many things. And yes, life can be super shitty. Yes, all those things are true. But when the tension's not there, when you're just existing, you're not feeling that strain of, I got to do this and I got to do that. And oh, what am I doing? And oh my gosh, I got to, there's so many things in my life that I'm unhappy with and this or this, this. There is something incredibly profound within that. Just, you know what? I'm going where this has taken me and I'm going to be. And that's a really profound aspect of being alive. Um, threaded within that experience is, you know, just my own worldview of like, you know, what's really cool about that experience is you can pick and choose what you're going to take from an experience. It can be negative. It can be positive. You can't choose a lot of those experiences. They will happen to you regardless. That ties into acceptance. a thing I talk about a hell of a lot on the show, knowing that we are powerless against most things in this world. So you kind of go where life takes you and you make the best of it. But I think all these Literary references today are like they're really empowering is probably the right word and hopeful. And as it pertains to my own reflections on my own life and week one of college football, which is deeply tied into my life, really like ecstatic and, and uh, enthralling probably is a good word because college football is all of this stuff times 100. It's that accepting where we don't know where this is headed. It's just the powerlessness of being a fan. And like, for me personally, I go, Nebraska's going to be shit. I can't change it. I wish I could. In the past, maybe I kind of thought I could will it into existence. I can't. I would love to, but I can't. So you go where it takes you. You go where it takes you. You know, you're compelled to pause and not act, but be. That is what I would describe. Week one and the weeks moving forward of college football season. Like, that's a great, great, great place to start. The night slate, I haven't even mentioned the night slate. I mentioned the headliner, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State, but Utah, Florida. There's so many other games. Actually, I don't even need to list them. (laughs) There's just so many (laughs) that all hold threads of intrigue. And there's a very real possibility that any game I've mentioned and any game I've not, it's going to be the game on Saturday where I'm just like, this might be the happiest moment of my life because I won this bet or this thing happened or this thing or whatever. You never know. But you get to the end of it and you go, hmm. The overarching thing that I feel after a Saturday of college football, especially that first Saturday, is just like, the earth is a pretty incredible place to be. And you know what? I'm really happy to be a part of it. That's that's an incredible thing. It really is. You got the headliners there. You know, if the big game is a dud, Notre Dame, Ohio State, let's say that game. Some fans are going to complain and I, I actually think that misses the point. I think that misses what I've been talking about, that Saturday can offer everything. You know, it offers the chance that Memphis Mississippi State could be better than Notre Dame Ohio State for whatever reason could just be a better game there could be a million different threads that each individual person could extract think about reading Eliza Mueller poem or listening to Bob Dylan song you can take what you want as it pertains to meaning from something a lot of times you cannot choose the thing but you can choose what you extract there's a chance that Memphis Mississippi State is better than Notre Dame Ohio State there's a chance that Georgia State South Carolina is better than Utah against Florida I go on and 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 on. And that's why Saturday is my favorite sports day of the entire year. September 3rd. That's what it falls on this year. It's the first week of September, always somewhere in there. The single digit September Saturday. There's going to It's always going to hold a very special place within uh, the framework of my life. Because it reintroduces the thing that no matter how much the sport changes, I always crave a ton, a ton, a ton of football games going on simultaneously that I can bet on that are happening in waves at each time slot and staggered so you can just consume everything and anything, all of them capable of being complete dog shit or strangely enough, the greatest game ever or anything in between. And what other sport can offer that? Thank you so very much for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by my very good friend, Weston Tanner. If you have not signed up for my newsletter, I would ask that you do so. You can go to chrisrawl.com. You can hit the subscribe button and I will send you a newsletter every Wednesday. or the foreseeable future, I assume it will be about college football and the NFL. Thank you for listening to this show. I can't describe how excited I am for this weekend of football and to have college football back in my life moving forward. I hope you all feel the same way and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.